Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start at uh, verse 10. Uh, we have had a lot of instruction in Ephesians throughout uh, the year, well, throughout ni- 2019 anyway. And so we know the basic structure. Um, it ends with talking about submission and who's supposed to submit to whom and um, all that sort of stuff. And we kind of get to chapter 6 and it's talking about children and servants and how all these different groups are to submit. And we're at the end of the chapter and Paul says, finally. So as all good uh, writers, uh, they signal the end. It gives people hope. Right? That's why I tell my students when they're learning these things, let people know you're coming to an end so that they can feel like they can breathe again. And so here Paul is saying, finally, almost to sum up the whole thing, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world, uh, forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So the first command there uh, is pretty obvious. We are to be strong in the Lord, in his might, by putting all the armor on. All of it. Now, what I want you to kind of understand is that there are some promises being made with this command. The promise is there is might in the Lord. And that your putting on the armor is part of having that might. Does that make sense? Okay. And that there is a reason for this. Why do you need to put on this armor? We haven't discussed what the armor is yet, but there's something about armor. We know there's an analogy coming on. And it's armor. Well, what do we think of when we think of armor? Warfare. War, yes. Uh, You could say, you could put it this way, you could uh, put on the full... uh, the full, uh, I don't know what they call it nowadays. Uh, if you see in the, in the military, they have flak jackets. They have uh, weapons. They have Kevlar helmets. Um, not a lot has changed. We call it different things. But they're still breastplates. We call them, uh, right, those flak jackets. They're still helmets. Um, we still have weapons. The weapons uh, are even designed. Uh, just because you have a, a weapon that shoots something doesn't mean you have all the bullets in the world, right? They still teach you how to use the bayonet. Do you know that? Bayonet training is still in basic training. So, uh, so as we look at this armor, we realize it's not just old-fashioned warfare we're talking about of back then... And that's kind of distant from us. It's talking about a warfare that we can identify with. And I want you to notice something that should alarm us a little bit. 
This armor of God is to be put on, the full armor, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So now we're getting into a realm where, uh, I don't know, it doesn't sound so academic anymore. Do you understand what I'm saying? Once you start talking about the devil, people are really, ooh. Well, that doesn't sound too academic. It's okay to talk about God's omniscience and omnipotence and uh, things that sound really intellectual. The two natures of Christ, transubstantiation, consubstantiation. Those are very intellectual topics, but once you start talking about the devil, uh, it's, you really start sounding crazy. Uh, one of my favorite reformers, Luther, um, the devil was, seemed to be at the center of his warnings all the time. And he even said crazy stuff like feeling like he was fighting the devil himself at times. There is supposedly, the legend has it, there's an ink stain somewhere where he used to be, where he threw um, his ink well at the devil. And once we start saying stuff like that, now it sounds nuts, right? Uh, we can talk about anything else. We even talk about the Holy Spirit. We're pretty much on board. I mean, you know, it, it gets a little weird, but we're okay. But when we talk about the devil, that's when it gets crazy. And uh, your next blank there is the devil's schemes involve you. That is the warning. Uh, that you are not um, you are not off the radar because you're a nobody. Right? Uh, we kind of see ourselves as, well, I'm just uh, one of God's children making it through our lives. Um, I wouldn't be too high on the uh, hit list of someone like the devil. Maybe he might send some minions after me or something like that, but not the devil himself. But here's the warning. The devil has his sights on you. You are of interest if you are in the Lord. Uh, we have feared man. Right? It is, we have a lot of fear in our world, right? We have fear of walking to our car late at night when no one else is around because we fear humans. We have fear of who's going to be the next president because we fear humans. We are afraid of communism, not because communism as a concept can get at us, but the insane humans that like it can get to us, right? And so we fear humans. And we have a lot of fear when it comes to humans. But although we have feared man, we were wrong. This is what it's getting at. You have been fearing man and you've been wrong. That's not what should uh, startle you. For we are, in your next blank there, we are wrestling fallen, fallen angels who are authorities in this realm that we're talking about. Uh, in the Middle Ages, 
Uh, there was the Middle Ages uh, gets a lot uh, gets a lot of a bad rap uh, because in the Middle Ages people came up with these arguments that seemed to us kind of dumb. So they would ask questions like, "How many angels can dance on the on the head of a pin?" Turns out seven. If you were wondering, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Uh, but. We would look at that and we'd say, that's crazy. Why are they asking these kind of questions? They were asking these questions because they had a strong belief that the realm of the spiritual realm interacts with the realm that we live in and see and interact in. They were convinced that the spiritual realm interacts with us. We see that question as insane because deep down inside, we really don't think that. Most of the rest of the world still does. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's our Western sensibilities that say that. It's not true. Yes. We, uh, the Enlightenment has been a great help to us to make sure that we believe that science, based on a level of reasoning that is not designed to tell you truth, indeed tells you the truth. So that's become our superstition, right? We've decided science will be our superstition and nothing else, and so if anyone talks about anything else, then that's what superstition is. And so as we start thinking about uh, what Paul is saying here, we have to look in our hearts, because by the time we get to the end of uh, the verses we're covering, when we get to verse 20, if we're not honest with ourselves, we might be nodding our head all the way through this saying, yep, that's right, good for you, Paul, good points, yes, and walk away still thinking that you agree with Paul when we really don't. Does that make sense? This is what I mean. When, we, when Paul says, you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers... Uh, we, we nod our head and go, oh, that's right, that's right. But I'm not sure we really believe that. That we're wrestling against fallen angels who have authority in, this, in, the, realm of this, in, in the realm of spirit, spiritual living. Um, let me read through it. Rulers against the powers. So it's not like it's just... Uh, it's not weak, right? What we're wrestling against isn't weak. It's not just suggestions that we can resist with our wills because we know better and we're scientific people. It's real power going on there. Against world forces of this darkness. Against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And that's not speaking of heaven, but in places that we cannot see. Um, your next blanks there is, this fight is against high-ranking evil. Beings who have real power and entire hosts who are, who are encircled around you. I'll read that again. The fight is against high-ranking evil. Beings who have real power and entire hosts of beings who are encircled around you. 
now. Um, this here is the warning. So you find out that you are at war, that there's a certain armor that you need to be wearing, and that your enemy isn't what you thought it was. It's not necessarily the government who is encroaching on you or other human beings, but there is a war going on against beings you cannot see. And this war is way more serious than we have come to believe. Now, we're going to find that some of this war does involve humans because of the work of these spirits. We're not there yet. All right. Therefore, verse 13, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist the that resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And then it's going to list the armor. Before we get there, uh, therefore take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. Now there's debate on what the evil day is. Um, some people think this might be talking about... Uh, the end times or something like that. Um, I don't think that's the context of Ephesians. Ephesians is talking about the mundane day-to-day -day work that you have as a Christian. Loving each other. <coughs> submitting to each other. Uh, Paul's not going to suddenly, in this one phrase, jump over to the end times. He's talking about the evil day that you are going to face in your life. Where you get that news, that very, very bad news that you have, you weren't expecting, or maybe that you were expecting, and it was much worse than you thought it was going to be. And you suddenly realize how weak your faith is because your faith was great when you knew that your check was going to uh, cover everything. Your faith was great when, you, when all your kids seemed to be pretty obedient and on board. Your faith was great when uh, everyone seemed to be getting along and everything was okay. And then the evil day comes. And none of this seems real anymore. Because the evil day is here and you need something practical. You need money. You need someone to get fixed because they're broken. You need peace again in your home. And this seems superstitious. But the command is to put this on long before that evil day comes. Um, there's a reason why basic training exists. It's because they're training the young men uh, to be ready for the evil day. The day in which their M16 jams and the enemy is upon them. Do they know how to respond? When their unit 
takes off and they are lost, do they know how to survive? When they are captured by the enemy and they are helpless with ruthless people that are anxious to hurt, can he stay strong? That's why soldiers are prepared. They're prepared, at least in my day, pretty ruthlessly because they knew the enemy was ruthless. So how are we preparing ourselves? Are you okay with being prepared even in a ruthless way? Where when the Holy Spirit rips at your heart, even in church, we are able to say, this is part of my training for when the evil day comes. Or are we like a lot of the kids today who are in basic training that feel they shouldn't be talked to this way? These sergeants, at least in my time, didn't feel they had to be gentle. And so when they insulted your mother, you just looked straight ahead and you felt, you just, I know that was really mean, but I'm not going to say anything because this guy is huge and can hurt me. And they were huge and they could hurt me. Um, But we had this idea, and this is something they beat into us, sometimes literally, that the enemy is going to be so much worse. And that they're trying to toughen you up for the evil day. So we can resist our training. Yes? I just want to say something that's helped me to prepare. When I started reading the Bible early on, the book of Judges, uh, chapter 3, 1, pretty easy to remember. And the Lord is talking, I guess, to Joshua. He says that he had allowed the enemies to remain in the land. Mm-hmm. And he says, these are the nations the Lord left to test all the Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. Mm-hmm. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. So he leaves those enemies. You're, yeah. you know, you're not scot-free once you get saved. Right. Enemies that want to destroy you. You have to party on that. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's, it's almost as if we live in a fallen world and the Lord is preparing us for the day. He prepared the Israelites in a physical way for fighting. Because in many ways, if you read Psalms, even physical fighting is a spiritual warfare that involved a lot of tears from David. And so we are told before that evil day comes... Uh, we are to uh, fasten the truth like a belt to us. Right? So here's the armor. We're fastening truth like a belt. Oops, I think I spelled that wrong. I apologize. Did I? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's not the last time. I'm telling you now. If it wasn't for that red squiggly line, this would look a lot worse. What was that? What university did you go to? Yeah, well, if we were supposed to learn how to spell, then why do we have Microsoft Word? <laughs> so, yeah, I give a lot of grace in my English classes. 
<laughs> Otherwise, I'd be a giant hypocrite. <laughs> All right, so fastening truth like a belt. Uh, righteousness we wear over our chest. Um, there's lots of reasons that people have talked about, and they, uh, why this metaphor is a breastplate or, uh, or whatnot. Um, and we can say that, uh, some people say that, it, it's because uh, this is what protects all those vulnerable spots, right? Your heart is behind there, right? And you need righteousness because how is the devil going to attack? It's going to remind you of what your heart's like. And whose righteousness protects your heart? Christ. Christ's, that's right. Um, the gospel is to be to your feet. This news we have of Christ is to inspire our movement. Our excitement to get out there. To tell this news. The shield of faith. This is where we get into um, maybe a type of apologetics where as people start, or as Satan starts throwing those fiery darts, those seeds of doubt, those things that, uh, that make sense to our limited logic, and our limited logic doesn't quite reach all the mysteries of God, and so those fiery darts start coming at us. Faith is that shield. And is faith a shield that you make? Do you go and find the metal and then start shaping that metal for your faith? Where does that faith come from? Christ. That's right. It comes from the Lord. In fact, it was given to us by the Holy Spirit himself. Salvation upon your head. Your helmet. Uh, the Kevlar helmet is designed to be able to withstand um, ricochet. <laughs> and uh, some... Uh, some metals that might be uh, flying from an explosion pretty far away. <laughs> uh, Kevlar is, it will help you not die of something stupid and small like a, like a ricochet that would per pierce your head. But it's not going to stop a full-on bullet. It's just not designed to do that. But the helmet of salvation withstands anything. Because that salvation is from the Lord. And the Spirit is in your hand. What do I mean by that? Um, so it says, In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation. And it says, uh, And the sword... Of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You read Scripture. Who tells you what this means? It's the Spirit. 
When you take up scripture in your hand, you are taking up the spirit in your hand like a sword. Now, here's where we get to the tough part. That's hard to convince people, and you really just have to rely on the Holy Spirit to convince people of this. So you have all this armor. You've prepared yourself for the evil day. How does this armor work itself out into warfare? What does the warfare look like? So in, uh, in the military, warfare looks like studying the terrain. You want to be on uh, high ground so that you can shoot down into the valleys uh, where you want your enemy. Um, it's why Omaha Beach during World War II was such a slaughter, but uh, a very difficult win, right? Because the Nazis had the upper hand. They were on the high ground shooting down into the beach and killing. I mean, we were just trying to push as many people through as we could, knowing that statistically some bullets are going to miss people. That is, that's the difficulty of being on low ground. So in warfare, you're looking for the terrain. You're looking at how many, how many men you have as opposed to how many men they have. You are thinking about what kind of weapons are appropriate. The weapons are too big, you end up hurting your own men, so you've got to make sure uh, there is enough distance and when and where. This is what warfare looks like. So how are you wrestling? against principalities and powers and fallen angels? What does your warfare look like where you are using all these things? Your helmet is needed. Your breastplate is needed. The sword is needed. And what does it look like? Where do you fight? Can anyone tell as you look at the next few verses? After it tells you all the all the armor, what's the next thing it talks about? Prayer. Prayer. Oh boy. Well, we know that doesn't mean anything, right? That was really uh, anticlimactic. You thought we were going to go to something that meant something, but all we got to was prayer. I mean, surely that doesn't mean anything, right? That's something we say to people when we show concern. Oh, that sounds terrible. I'm sorry. You know what? I'll pray for you on that. Let me pray for you. And what do we mean by that? We mean that seems really bad. Here's a, some words that will make you feel better. Uh, I might remember to pray for you, but I'm not sure what that means. Because we're not convinced that our fight is spiritual warfare. And if you're not convinced that your fight is not that your fight is spiritual warfare, then why would we fight spiritually? For instance, if you have a young cadet who has uh, been prepared for war, he has all this stuff, he learned how to shoot, and you put him out there in the desert somewhere and says, "Your enemy's out there," and he says, uh, "They're not my enemy." Is that going to be a soldier that is going to fight? 
They don't even think their enemy is the enemy, let alone that they're out there. And when the, uh, when the sergeant says, everyone round up, we're going out there, we have orders, we have a place to stand, we have a place to be that we need to get there and point our weapons in a particular direction, and the guy goes, I'm not doing that. There's nothing out there. And if there was, they're not my enemy anyway. What kind of a soldier is that? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely court martialed. So the question is, are any of us in this room, uh, if someone were to bring charges of court martial against us, would we have a leg to stand on? This person, this Christian, is not fighting because he's not praying. And when he does pray, maybe they threw a gun in his hand and said, okay, we got to sit here. And I go, all right, I'll sit here. You got to shoot that way. All right, I'll shoot. Right? Yeah. And he deserve it. Um, he just shoots off into the distance. Is that what our prayers look like? Where we have all this incredible armor ready for fighting and we don't even believe the enemy's out there. When people are trying to prepare us for the enemy, we get upset at them. When we start shooting, we're not really shooting at the enemy. We're just kind of throwing a prayer. God, help me. You know, I don't know. What, I don't know. Um, really don't know if this is going to help or not, but help me. We are in trouble. The day of evil came, and we are unconvinced of the enemy. We're unconvinced of what we're doing in our prayer because these, this armor that has been given to us by the grace of God we are ungrateful for. All this armor is for the work of prayer. Prayer is the battleground that we do not think is important enough to engage in our speech before the throne of God is in the Spirit. Verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this, with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So your warfare is within the realm of prayer, and this prayer is to be in the Spirit. It's supposed to be constant. The spiritual work of prayer is constant. And prayer is in the power and strength of the Spirit. How do we know that? Because all this goes back to the very first sentence of the whole paragraph, which is, finally... Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. What does that mean? Does that mean you just really believe in, you just kind of like, I just really believe the Lord today. I just feel good. I just feel like it's all true today. And that feeling of goodness is the strength of the Lord. 
This particular verse is talking about this warfare that you are contending in. You are going to need strength. And that strength is in the spirit because of the armor you have been given that takes place in the work of prayer. Prayer, next blanks there, your prayer is offense, not defense. Uh, It's defense when you pray not to the Lord, and then the day of evil comes, and you're panicking. You're panicking so much, you'll even resort to prayer. Maybe even earnest prayer. And when was earnest prayer supposed to be happening? Yeah, long before the day of evil came. You are now trying to use it as a defense against the evil instead of using it for offense to prepare for that day. And as we come to the end of the verses we're going to be covering anyway, this work of prayer isn't just for you. When you pray, you're supposed to have this in view. That every time you pray in this constant prayer that is in the spirit, because you have been armed by the Lord for this kind of fight, this prayer is to have this in view, to be on the alert with all perseverance. You're supposed to persevere with this prayer. And petition for all the things you need. Is that what it says? Perseverance and petition for all the problems you come across. It's kind of how we think. But we're supposed to be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Each other. Is it difficult... To start having bitterness against the person you have been faithful in praying for. I guess it's possible, but it becomes a lot harder because you're investing in them. You are praying for the best for them. And as you do that, you begin to realize that your prayers are for fellow soldiers. Um, I had a mentor back in Toledo, Dr. Forney, and most of you men know who he is because we had that class with him. And he said, could you imagine what the church can do if we stop pointing our rifles in when we circle the wagons? and start pointing them out towards the enemy. Wouldn't that be interesting? (laughs) And he's talking about the local church. Right? Where it really should be us against them. But we seem to be soldiers who want to be snipers against each other instead of against the enemy. 
And so as uh, we think on these last few, this last uh, talk about the Holy Spirit, I have to come to the conclusion that the reason why I feel so passionately about this is because I'm so guilty of it. I am guilty of using my prayers as defense when the evil day comes. I've not been persevering in my prayer life to be ready. I get, uh, I get overwhelmed by life, and I get overwhelmed by the, the work of the evil day and the work of these spirits because I live my life pretending they don't exist. I live my life pretending the evil day won't come. And I live my life pretending that the Holy Spirit is unimportant until I need him. And my prayer life is weak. Very weak. And it is no wonder that so much calamity comes when calamity comes. You understand what I mean by that? Have you seen strong people in the Lord? Calamity comes and they it's hard. But they don't seem like people that have wavered. They don't seem like people that have um, lost and feel like they, they are they are without hope. That's because perhaps they have been living a life of faithful prayer. And I think I can learn a lot from this. Because I find that when you don't live a life of faithful prayer in the spirit, knowing you are at war, you start to war with fellow soldiers. You start to war with your family. And you start to war with everyone you're not supposed to, and then the evil day comes, and you start shooting even more of your soldier, fellow soldiers. When the evil day comes, you begin to see all of the church as your enemy. And so my prayer for us, for me especially, but for everyone here, that we start preparing ourselves with the armor we have been given by making a regular habit of prayer to the Holy Spirit, or prayer in the Holy Spirit, to our Lord, that we might be ready and alert for what kind of a warfare we are facing right now. Um, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we are grateful to you for uh, the gifts that you have given us all in Christ that we have access to you through the work of Christ. And this is real power because of the Holy Spirit's work in us. We pray that you would give us this alertness uh, in the warfare we fight, that we might be eager for prayer on a regular basis without ceasing to, to our God. We might know we do this in the Spirit because of the work of Christ, because the Father loved us. Lord, we pray that we would be ever aware of that as we go into uh, worship today, 
as we listen to what Andrew has to say, that the Spirit would break our hearts, that we would be humble before your word. We ask these things in your Son's name. Amen.